Acts chapter 6 tonight. Last time we concluded chapter 5, we saw the apostles were beaten by the council for preaching Christ. Council commanded the apostles yet again, don't preach in the name of Jesus. Well, after being beaten, the apostles departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. (laughs) Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus. Chapter 5 ends, guess what? They're right back at the temple preaching Christ. It says, and daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. As we come to chapter 6, it's important to remember that this church, which started out with about 120 people, has grown exponentially. They are now in the thousands. Does that make some of you uncomfortable? And what's great is all of this happened not because they had great plans and programs. Right? It wasn't because they had this thing all figured out. They didn't go around Jerusalem and, hey, let's ask everybody what they want in a church and we'll see if we can make it a little better than the synagogues and a little better than the temple and and we'll find out what they want. We'll incorporate that and, and we'll get people to come. There's people that do that today. Do you understand that? They didn't do that. They're not going around asking people what they want. They're not concerned with what the world's preferences are. They couldn't go to other pastors and ask, well, I just don't understand how you'd manage to grow a church in this climate. These are the last days. It's waxing worse and worse, and we're in this recession, and I just don't understand how, how this is happening. They, they weren't able to do that, and there wasn't a track record of what other churches had tried, and they could go, okay, well, that seems to work. That doesn't seem to work. They didn't have radio stations to broadcast from. They didn't have televisions to air programs on. They they didn't have sharply designed websites. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have live stream. You with me? They didn't have a bus ministry. They didn't have a printing press. There was no one telling them, here's what you need to do. Open in a song open in prayer, welcome everyone, give announcements, listen to the choir, greet each other, sing a couple more songs, have a music special, preach for about 35 minutes, have an altar call, close with a hymn and go home. Nobody's telling them how to do this. There was no one to say, you got to put a piano on this side and an organ on this side, Put your orchestra here. Have a pulpit here. Make sure you have a cross somewhere. Don't forget the American and Christian flags. Have a communion table, a a do this in remembrance of me table somewhere in the front and center. And church decorum 101. Whatever you do, even if the organ has only been played three times in the last five years. Don't move it. I wish that was funny for everybody. You know, it it really does almost sound silly when you think about what we've come to expect 
in a church service. There are people who will choose their church based upon their carnal preferences, which have nothing to do with anything that is actually in the Bible. And those who adopt this approach will never become rooted and grounded because they're always bouncing around to another church in search of everything they want. Everything that pleases their fleshly desires. Well, this church in Jerusalem had no examples to draw from because this had never been done before. So what, what will a people do who don't know what they're doing, and yet they've got a calling upon their life, I tell you what people will do. They'll do the one thing that comes naturally to a people who have been transformed by the power of Christ, and they will go out and they will preach Christ. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's get excited now. Listen, listen, what I'm telling you, you got to get a hold of this because this is the book of Acts. You see, we think we got to have all this stuff. No, listen, what did they do? Their lives have been transformed by Christ and they preached Christ. That's what you got to do. They sang unto the Lord. Boy, what a great song service this morning, brother. We're going to up your pay. Zero to zero. Listen, they just did what came natural. You with me? This is what God blesses. God doesn't need our ingenuity. God doesn't need our schemes. This church in Jerusalem grew because they magnified Christ. They ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is the chief cornerstone. Christ is the builder of His church. And so it is Christ is who we must preach. And for any church... To be pleasing in God's sight, it must first be built upon the foundation of Christ. And then God will continue to bless that church as they uphold sound biblical doctrine teaching Christ. And so we learn in the book of Acts that God is in the growing business. Amen. I know this makes some of you nervous, but that's all right. God, He grows us spiritually as individuals, right? He grows us spiritually as a church body. And that kind of thing will always happen anytime the Word of God is at the center of a church. But then there are seasons, there are times that God will bless with numerical growth. Based upon what we've seen up to this point in Acts, we can be assured that when the foundation is right and when the doctrine is right, then any numerical growth we experience will be of the Lord. They're not not doing anything fancy here. This would be, let, let let me put it in our modern day language, because I don't know if I'm connecting the dots here. This would be that storefront church. Everybody's like, I don't know. Do I really want to attend something like that? We don't know what we're doing. We're just up here preaching Christ. And we shouldn't resist growth. God wants to grow a church numerically because He likes reaching more people. And really, when you think about it, numerical growth will be the natural byproduct of following the Great Commission. You go out into the world, you sow the seed of the Word of God, Some of that seed will find its way into good ground. 
And God said, of that seed, I will bring forth a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And so we should expect, to some extent, God to bless when we sow the seed of the Word of God. And while church growth is most certainly the blessings of God, as we come to chapter 6, we find that with numerical growth, the potential for problems grow as well. More people, more problems. Whoop. This may only be for me, I don't know. Why is this the case? Because we're not perfect people. We're sinners reaching other sinners. And since there's no perfect people, there's not a perfect church. So it's not that we're never going to have problems, but it's how to deal with the problems that come up along the way. And we'll see in this chapter that we can overcome problems with God's help and with proper leadership. Problems can be dealt with. People can work things out so long as there is is a willingness to do so. There doesn't have to be lasting divisions which lead to a falling out. And problems arising, we'll see, do not have to stifle the growth of a church. With that, look with me, please, in chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 7. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude and They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumbaa. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know I I shouldn't do that. I, I can't help it. Every time I come to this text, I see Timon and Pumbaa. Remember you're laughing later on in the message, okay? Because we're going to find out that y'all actually are watching movies. Timon... Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. The word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Boy, there's so much good stuff here. We see in verse 1 that the church had multiplied, and as I just mentioned in my introduction, this was the good hand of God upon them. We know they were over 5,000 strong at a minimum. It could very well be there's there's over 8,000 members in this church. Remember that on the day of Pentecost, that 120 that had been gathering had had grown by 3,000 on one day. In chapter 4 and verse 4, at least another 2,000 were added. And depending on how you read it, it may have been another 5,000 that were added on top of that. And then in chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. This was not only a result of them faithfully preaching Christ, but remember this, they had been of one accord. 
We've been highlighting that as we go. Remember in chapter 1, they were of one accord. At the beginning of chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, in chapters 4 and 5, we find that they were of one accord. And being of one accord provided the environment necessary for growth. Why? There was no divisions in the body. Wow. What a blessing. But now we see there arose a murmuring among the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. This church had been firing on all cylinders. I mean, things were clicking along. Things were going well. This church is exploding. And now, all of a sudden, this church that had been of one accord is now divided. They've got a legitimate complaint on their hands that must be dealt with. This isn't one of those superficial problems that they can roll their eyes at. I have no problem shrugging off stupidity. Amen, lighten up. (laughs) The church landscape in America is in a sad state. It would do American Christians good to go out into the bush country of Africa and watch how happy those Christians are to walk six miles one way to go to a straw brick building with a thatched roof and a dirt floor and spend hours praising God. Amen. We're so stinking spoiled here. Amen. I got half the church telling me it's hot, half the church telling me it's cold. You know where I'm at. It's cold, Sister Thomason. It's cold. That's what she was telling me. I'm cold. I'm hot. Amen. Well, I'm always hot, but I'm hot. Like, I'm hot. It's, it's hot. And and, and listen, anyone with common sense knew that the churches in America were going off the rails the very moment that people started to decide where they were going to tend based upon the color of the carpet. Isn't that silly when you hear it? And, And listen, I'm all for having a great building. Can you imagine somebody leaving a church over where their backside rests? It happens especially amongst us good Baptists. They don't have pews anymore. They, I, I knew it, they're a bunch of compromisers. They're now using chairs. Now, for what it's worth, I like the aesthetics of a pew better, honestly. I, I like that, but chairs are way more economical. Well, I really don't like that carpet y'all bought going down the hall and into the nursery rooms back there. Seriously? Just get over yourself already. It's where your dirty feet walk. It's where babies will spit up. I'll tell you how I would have done it. Well, here's an idea. Just be happy that you have a church building that's paid off. That we have heat and air and water and toilets and lights. You won't know that we have air when we have our going away downstairs, but we do. This is why I do my best to always call this building a facility. Why? Because it facilitates ministry. That's all it is. It may not be the fanciest. It may not be just the way you like it, but does it serve its purpose or not? And just so you know, we're honestly doing the best we can. I want things to be nice, but listen, we've got to let the superficial things go already. So in our text, this church in Jerusalem has an issue on their hands. They can't roll their eyes at it. They can't shrug it off. They can't say, just grow up. 
this is a serious issue. The Grecians are murmuring against the Hebrews, which means they're making grumbling sounds. That word murmuring has no definition. It, Adrian, I've been waiting 24 years for this. It's an onomatopoeia. <laughs> like the word sizzle. It, it is what it sounds like. And we've all heard people murmur, right? We've heard people mumble and complain and grumble under their breath. Now, it's important we understand these two groups of people, the Grecians and the Hebrews, if we're going to understand really what the problem is here in the text a little bit better. The Grecians were the children of Israel who had been displaced due to the Old Testament captivities. The Assyrians took the house of Israel captive. They sowed them among the nations. The, Babylon, the Babylonians took the house of Judah captive, and they were scattered throughout the 127 provinces. We, we find in the book of Esther, by the time the Persians took over, they were scattered all over and they could have went back, but they didn't. They chose to stay in exile. And so these who were out there scattered from Judea, the, the Greeks eventually took over the Persians. And when that happened, people started speaking Greek. That was the language of, of the world, if you will, that area of the world. And the Greek culture took over, and these people were being raised in Greek culture as opposed to those who were still in Judea. They became known as Hellenized Jews, or Greek Jews, if you will. They had their version of Scripture, the Septuagint. They had their synagogues scattered all over. On the other hand, you had the Hebrews. These were those who had grown up in Judea. They had Hebrew Scriptures. They attended at the temple. They spoke the Hebrew language, and many... They became prideful about their heritage because they had remained in the land. They, they were the ones that were there at the temple. They had home-filled advantage, if you will. And they didn't consider the Grecians orthodox. They ended up, the Hebrews ended up viewing themselves superior to the Grecians. And so here's this church. It's made up of people from different places, different backgrounds, different cultures. But the the church here in Acts is based in Jerusalem, the home of the Hebrews, the, the home of the temple. Fleshly speaking, I think we can understand how the Hebrews, how this would fuel their pride. Is everybody with me? By the way, how did this church end up with so many people? Well, you remember in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Bible told us that there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. They had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and when they got converted, they stayed. That ought to tell you something about how important a church is. These differences led to a very real problem. The widows of the Grecians were being neglected in the daily ministration, which means that was the distribution of the funds and the food necessary to care for them. They didn't have things like we have today. There was no Social Security Right? There were none of these programs. And so they were taking care of the widows, and they should. Remember early on in chapters 2 and 4, this church had all things common. They sold their possessions. They gave to everyone that had a need. Nobody lacked. But now they don't have all things common. Needs are no longer being met equally. And, and we don't need to get in deep into this, I think we understand that God takes the care of widows very seriously throughout the Bible. 
It's found throughout the Old Testament. It's found even in the New Testament. It was an indictment against Israel in the Old Testament. It was an indictment against the scribes and the Pharisees in the New. Jesus said, you devour widows' houses. James would write in in chapter 1, verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And so what made matters worse in the church of Jerusalem is while the Grecian widows were being neglected, get this now, the Hebrew widows were being taken care of. Uh Uh-oh. we got a problem on our hands. This, This prejudice, understandably, has led to murmuring. Now, let me be clear, bigotry has no place in our church. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying we're not going to uphold God's standards when it comes to membership and these kind of things and and His standards of righteousness, but I'm not going to tolerate bigotry in this church, and and I hope that you're not going to do the same. I hope, did I say that right? I'm not going to tolerate it, and you shouldn't either. And don't think you can't creep into good churches. It happened in Jerusalem. It even happened in Antioch. Do you remember when Paul withstood Peter to the face? Paul took the Barney Fife method of dealing with bias. He nipped it in the bud. Galatians 2, 11-14. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I, speaking of Paul, withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James... He did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews... Why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? It happens. It it can happen anywhere. I think we understand that this is battled everywhere. If we allow biases, bigotry, prejudice to happen within a church body, the, the problem is the world can look in and go, aha, they look no different than we do. Why do I need Christ? We're not going to be that church that looks down at someone because of their skin color, their background, their past sins, or because they were less fortunate in life. They were problems then, and they're still problems today. I remember my dad took over a church in Rome, Georgia, and when he came in, the... New life began to come into the church. It was an old church at first. And I think the average age was probably 80 when he took over. They were the ones that called me Greg every week, no matter how much I corrected them. (laughs) I got to reminisce about this with my mom, and there was one lady who told me every Sunday, wash your face with antibacterial soap, and you'll get rid of those zits. (laughs) She said, do that three times a day, and you'll be... She still cooked on a wood-burning stove. Anyway, some young people started to come from Barry College there in Rome. And the old-timers didn't really like that too much. How sad. Can you believe there are still churches where if somebody shows up with the wrong skin color, they're not welcome? 
Did you know there's churches? How stupid is this? There's churches where if you come in with the wrong accent, we don't want to hear from you. Don't think that's just in the South. I don't care where someone was raised, how they sound, how they look, they're welcome here. We are all one in Christ. We all partake of the same table, and we aren't going to neglect anyone. Jesus prayed in John 17 that they may be one as we are one. Well, this church in Jerusalem, they have people from all over, and we can relate to this challenge. We get military from all over, amen? Recently, people have been flocking to South Dakota, rightfully so. Hey, we're still the freest state in the the union. I love it. We may not look like it externally. I understand our demographics. We may not look like it externally, but this is a very diverse church. And I like that. We have people from all over. But it does come with its challenges from time to time. And we have to be on guard. Not to allow our differences to lead to divisions. Thankfully, we've been able to joke about some of this along the way. For example, we, we have some where their church culture is to shout amen. And depending on what part of Georgia you're from, it may have that hockaloogie sound to it. <laughs> we have some that raise hands. And we have some that look at those who do these things like they're nutcases. <laughs> and then we have the pastor de Garmos of the world. He's f- from further west. You know, him getting excited is like, uh, I don't know, sometimes he'll say amen over there, I guess. I don't hear it. And Adrian said, man, he was excited tonight. He said, amen. <laughs> I love Jared Alstrom to death. He pulled me aside early on in my pastorate. And he said, pastor, just so you know, if I don't say amen or if you don't hear amens in South Dakota, it's not because we're not listening or don't like the message. It's because that's how we were raised. He said, I grew up East River. God bless him. But he said, when, when we say amen, we do this. He said, if you see my head shaking up and down, I'm shouting amen. (laughs) Well, that's a problem for someone like me, amen. I want to see us run the aisles from time to time. We have differences. But all of our differences are not always a laughing matter, are they? People from various parts of the country come in with their particular taste and style of music. They have their idea of how church should be structured. They have their opinions on the solemnity of a church service. Can we laugh or not? Should we be allowed to joke around or not? People come in with their opinions on how to observe the Lord's Supper and how often. And in this technologically driven world we live in today, this this happens everywhere because all people got to do is get online and start clicking away and they're filled with all kinds of ideas and things that they think that we ought to try. Now, I want you to get this, please. Divisions occur when people elevate their prejudices and opinions and standards above the Bible. Let me word it this way. When they elevate those things to the level of the Bible. Everybody with me? Be on guard that you don't make something biblical that isn't in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 10.1, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. I'm talking about a holier-than-thou attitude tonight. That's what's happening in our text. 
Somehow people get the idea that they're holier than others because of their preferences. Amen. Is it getting real or are y'all just ready to go home? Most internal problems don't occur from people obstinately rebelling against the Bible and denying what it says. But internal problems in a church body are often often the result of people affirming what the Bible never says. It's when culture and tradition and personal biases take precedent over the Bible. They become absolutes. And churches can allow divisions to creep in in all kinds of ways. We have to be careful. Here's a short list to get you riled up. School choice. Who's more holy, the one that goes to public school, that homeschools, or goes to private school? Who's more holy? And if you just answered that, be careful. How about the number of children you have? Hey, there's, there's, there's a school of thought out there, the full quiver doctrine. If that's you, great. Fill up two, two rows. I don't care. Amen. I like that. But then you got people that, no, they're stupid. They can't afford that. Huh? <laughs> hey, we, there's people that want to sit and they want to compare the, the full quiver doctrine against the rhythm method. If you don't know what that is, look it up some other time. <laughs> Who's more holy? The one with eight kids or the ones with 2.5? Let's get up in your living room for just a minute. How about the observance of holidays? The big three for Christians. Halloween, Easter, Christmas. Preacher, I bet you don't know all the history behind those holidays. I bet you I do. And I bet you I just choose not to harangue people over some of the things that they do. Do I really think that that five-year-old that puts on a mask and goes says trick-or-treat and gets candy is the devil? Or that family who allows it, who's never been taught, come on now, never knew, because we good independent Baptists know how to roast somebody. But we're so stinking hypocritical, we, we, we cover it over with these terms called harvest festivals. Show up like Moses, and we'll have the trunks full of candy. It's not trick-or-treating, so it's okay. You're doing the same thing. I know this needs to be priest where I'm the visiting preacher, but I'm doing the best I can, amen? Halloween, I, I, I get it. I, I do. I understand there's people on both sides of the fence. I have my preferences, and we raise our kids that way but you may have yours. And, and listen, I, I'm not going to sit there and kick you in the teeth. I, is, somebody, is somebody honestly, are they really worshiping Ishtar if they color eggs? I understand it all. I get it. I do. I, and, and I'll just be transparent with you. Our kids didn't trick-or-treat. We didn't do Easter eggs, and we didn't do Santa Claus. That was my choice. But I don't think a family who wants to color an egg is really bowing down before the altar of Ashtoreth or some fertility god. They don't know. Eggs are good anyway. Color them. I don't care. 
Christmas. Don't you know that's a Catholic holiday? Yeah, I know all that. I know why it was invented. I get it. And listen, if you want your kids to hug your neck because somebody else bought them presents over you, that's fine. I don't like that personally. I want my kids to hug my neck and say, thanks, Dad, for working hard for these presents. I had, a, I had a family come here once, and they wanted to talk in my office, and they said, yeah, we were going to another independent Baptist church here in town, and man, we, we walked in. It was Christmas time. We mentioned something about a Christmas tree, and the pastor just lit me up. You got to get that, get that sin out of your house. And, argh, argh. You know, the fundamental side of independent Baptist? She was in tears. I said, honey, I don't care if you have a Christmas tree in your house. I got one right out here in the foyer. <laughs> hey, we didn't even do a tree. We did a rock. How stupid is that? The kids said, let's just put up a Christmas rock. I'm like, yeah, I'm down with that. Put a rock in the Christmas tree stand and put lights around it. It was great. But we did have our house on the market, and I thought, how stupid. You said this is a pastor's house? They got a rock and a Christmas What's the matter with these people? What church do they go to? How about music in the church, Brother Long? Well, that song's too new. I, I just can't sing anything after 1870. That song has a beat. Look, I know nothing about the ins and outs of music, but to me, they all have some sort of a beat. I don't understand the terms. I thought that was kind of the point of music, but I don't know. I, I don't know where Karen Williams is to educate us on this, but music in the church. Yeah, how, how divisive that can be. Where does it say in the Bible you can't have a drum set? Yeah, we're getting real. Don't worry, I'm not bringing in a drum set. You say, well, why not? If it's not in the Bible, you could probably do it. Yeah, we probably could. But you know why I don't do it? Because I understand that I'm taking one more step closer down the road I don't want to get to. And while that's my conviction, the next guy may come in and say, well, we're already there. Let's go ahead and jam this thing out. I'm just telling you where I'm at. But I do have Christian music where there's a drum playing in it. And I bet you do too. I'm just trying to get you to think. What about taking pharmaceutical drugs? Don't you know that the Greek word pharmacia means sorcery and witchcraft? And that's where we get our name pharmaceutical? All right, when your life's on the line, let's see what you do when the doctor says you need to take this. I tell you what, when I went into the ER with blood clots, you give me whatever. We're going to put you on morphine. Do it. Never been on morphine before. It burned the back of my head. You ever had that feeling? But then it was like, ah. Oh. Well, I think we ought to go holistic, or I think we ought to use the witchcraft oil potions that all the ladies have, and we ought to go natural. Oh, you got headaches? Just put a little peppermint on there, and it'll take care of it. Apparently, we have a lot practicing witchcraft in here. In here. <laughs> what about taking out a loan? Hey, there's some people, they're debt-free all the way. You're not going to find that in the Bible. 
Yeah, I know. You think it's there because that's what you've always been told. It's not in there. Let me put it to you this way. Let's say your, your wife or your daughter or son, God forbid, they get sick and you have to take them to the doctor and the doctor says we have to admit them, we have to do this procedure, it's going to cost $300,000 to make them live. You going to go into debt over that? I bet you will. Oh, but we're against debt. No, mm-mm. it's really just some of the way you view things. What about dating or courting for you fundamentalists? I know the difference. You don't have to come tell me. I know. I know courting is with a purpose. I I get all that. Who's more holy? The one who says, my daughter can't look at a boy till she's 18, or the one who says 16? Who's more holy? The one that says, you're not even going to entertain anything, or the one that says, yeah, we'll take you out and you can have your booth and eat? Do you see what I'm saying? We can get divided in all kinds of ways over things that we can't even find. Movies and television. It doesn't carry as much weight today, Ken, to say I don't have cable. All you got to do is have internet and stream. I don't know if he does that or not. Probably does. That's why I said earlier about Timon and Pumbaa. (laughs) And yet a preacher gets up, I shouldn't go to the movie house. Hey, man, preacher. And then everybody's favorite dress standards. Not even touching it. (laughs) You can see Brother Long for a song about that. What ends up happening is people take their biases and their their, their opinions, their, their personal idea of holiness, and they use that to judge somebody else to say whether or not they love God and to deem whether or not they're holy. Listen, I, I... I'm not much now, but I definitely wasn't much 20-something years ago. I didn't know anything. I came to church. I mean, I knew, I knew things to do, but I, I didn't know. And you see, we got to be careful because sometimes somebody comes in and, and, and we want to just land blast them and, and just talk about how, how stupid they are because they don't understand the things that took you 30 years to arrive to. Well, they're not holy. Why? Because my list doesn't have it on there. And listen, I'm not going to focus on another man's list. I deal with them as they come up in the text. That's why I like going verse by verse. But I hope you notice, I don't even harp on my list, and I've got one. I don't talk about your list. I don't try to invite any preachers here that's going to hammer their list because I don't need somebody blowing in, blowing up and blowing out and leaving me with a divided church full of angry badgers. There's a guy, he hasn't, he hasn't been here lately, but um, I think he took a church. Some of you may know who I'm talking about. And he said, uh, man, I started a church around here. It was going well. We were doing great. We started to have um, people show up and join, and we put up a tent. We had a tent revival. I invited in my buddy, and he just blasted everything that fundamentalists just rail on. He was going off on dress and divorce, and he said that church crumbled like that. Why? Be, the culture's different. They, listen, what that guy may have come from is not what it's going to be out here. I hope you understand my heart. It's like I've been saying on Wednesday night, you've got to know how to pick your battles. 
You know what those people needed to hear instead of all that? You just need to love the Lord. You need to grow in the Lord. You need to get in the Word of God. It's amazing, it's amazing what will happen to a people when you just allow the Holy Spirit to work. I have to give this example now, and I hate to do it because I keep, I keep giving it every time we get on something like this. But years ago, my wife and I had good friends that were attending here, and they showed up with a different version of the Bible. Listen, I'll die with the King James in my hand. I believe it's God's preserved word. I believe that with all my heart. My wife said, what should we do? I said, we're not going to say anything. We're going to let the Holy Spirit deal with them. About a month to three months later, they go, you know what? Our Bible doesn't say what the preacher's reading. It's not even in our Bible. The verse is missing. And without me having to say a word to anybody, they showed up with brand new King James Bibles. I've sufficiently beaten this to death. Just be careful assuming you are more holy because of your biases and preferences. Don't be guilty of establishing something as biblical if you can't clearly back it up in the Bible. You may be a Hebrew, but you don't have to browbeat the Grecians. Now, don't misunderstand me. We must stand firm on the Bible. You should know me well enough to understand my heart. But don't confuse absolute with preferences. And don't confuse preferences with absolutes. Your biases ought to end where the Bible begins. But preacher, we're we're independent Baptists, and if we can't preach on those issues, what in the world are we going to preach about? We're going to preach Christ. Preach Christ and Him crucified. We're going to stay on target. And we're not going to be taken over by the extra biblical issues. But as we see in our text, problems can and will arise in good churches because of biases. And when this occurs, we must recognize what is taking place. Satan is moving his attack inward. Don't worry, I'm going to wrap this up quick. Satan tried to unseat this church from outward persecutions to no avail. We saw in chapter 5, Satan worked himself inside the church through Ananias and Sapphira. Remember what Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart? to lie to the Holy Ghost, but God took care of that. He struck them down. Well, that didn't stop the church, and so the enemy attacked once again from the outside through persecution in the latter half of chapter 5, but that didn't work, and now Satan once again is he's moving himself inside of this body of believers. He's trying to get inside here, cause an internal problem, and this time God isn't going to strike him down like he did in chapter 5. Thank God. Can you imagine if God still dealt with dissension by just killing you? We'd be a church of none. Well, Tyler would still be here. Sorry, brother. Mary. I was going to get through verse 7. But we'll just stop in verse 1. I want to close with this, though. (laughs) That seems to be a trend. When problems arise, we'll see in verses 2 through 4 next time that leadership must act. But in order for this to happen, please hear me. Hear the heart of a pastor. In order for that to happen, in order for leaders to deal with something, they have to know about it. Thankfully, this problem has reached the ears of the apostles before it's grown out of hand and led to some sort of church split or people begin to leave. They could have easily ended up with a church in Jerusalem now and two, denom- two churches, two denominations, all the mess we see all over the country. But they were able to deal with the problems because they knew about it. 
And one of the issues I, I have is, is I don't find out about problems until somebody's already on their way out or they've already left. Or they're just not man enough to come and talk to you about it. And I mean that. I meant that to be the way it sounded. Man up! Don't hesitate to bring problems to our leadership. Problems need to be dealt with before they cause you to leave. I don't want to learn that you're leaving or have left after it's too late for you to want to reconcile. And I say that purposefully because I try with every single person. But it usually gets to a point by the time I heard about it, I don't even want to reconcile with you. What did I even do? We're not going to tell you. Oh, well, this is really going to work out well for me. I'm I'm going to grow as a pastor and, and, and you're going to leave on good terms. Please don't think your problem is too insignificant to be addressed. I hear that too. Well, I just didn't want to bother you. Bother me. I want to know. We'll see next week. You can bother other people, but you can bother me. (laughs) Hey, if it's a problem to you, it's a problem. Don't let it fester. Don't let gangrene set in. Somebody said this. I... I used to listen to preaching every morning in Mississippi before I walked into the schoolhouse. And uh, David Jeremiah was on during that time. And I believe it was him that said this. If you take care of the splinters, you won't have a split. And let's take care of the splinters. Let's pray.